All right. So uh, if you have your phones, would you get them out? This is how we do attendance at The Way. And so uh, thank you guys if you're here uh, visiting with us. We uh, really do appreciate it. Today, I'm going to have everyone, if you would, text in um, 777-3520. And uh, the key word today is, is with God too. So this is the second week in a series that we're starting called With God. And um, anyways, if you would text in, if you're a first-timer, then someone will reply back and uh, saying thanks for coming. And uh, if you reply to that message, you win. And so you get a couple gifts. We got some stuff for you at the back table. Anyways, um, thanks for coming. We appreciate you being here. 777-3520 lets us know that you came, and uh, we, we like that. feel like I had something else I had to say, and uh, probably just the sermon, right? Like, okay, here we go. Chris, would you get me um, a water? I'm nervous. Yeah, the shoes. Yeah. Hey, uh, everyone say Joyce. Joyce. Joyce is awesome. Joyce said, hey, I feel like God's asking me to do something, and, uh, and it's kind of, I'm kind of scared. And uh, I love that because that's me every week. So like this morning when I was like, hey, I feel like we're supposed to pray for everyone, that's intimidating, you know, sometimes to be like, hey. Uh, so anyways, God said, uh, Joyce felt like the Lord was leading her to um, collect shoes for kids that are going to public school that don't have shoes. There is, um, I don't know if you know this, but if you were to just Google Polk County and public schools, you'll find that this is one of the uh, most poverty-stricken areas uh, in, in the U.S. for kids um, that are malnourished at school and, uh, and don't have a lot of supplies. And so anyways, she's trying to collect some shoes, and I think that's pretty rad, and uh, we should help her. So, kids' shoes, we'll take them in the back. There's a little bin in the back. That's it. Great. Here we go. Uh, so, last week we started this series, and it's called With God, and it's based on an encounter that I had with an individual um, some time ago, and in that encounter that I had, it was with a friend who used to be a first responder and very diligent person. He was a leader over a large amount of people and uh, very devout in that. Uh, he was someone that would be consistently reading his Bible in front of other people. Everyone that worked for him knew that he was a believer. When there was a situation in anyone's life on his team, he would pray for them. And he, he let them know, I'm here for you, and I'll, help, I'll protect you as you protect this city. And so um, he's a very devout person. Well, he recently retired and uh, joined staff at a church that is growing and flourishing, and, and it's pretty cool. And so I got a chance to go there and visit uh, the church and hear all the great things that God's doing there and the people that are getting saved. And um, so in this scenario that I'm, I'm talking with this person, I said, man, how's it going? You're, you're, like, you're killing it. You guys are doing so wonderful, reaching people. And I said, tell me what's, what's happening. And he said, man, I got to tell you, this is not at all what I thought it was going to be like. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, it feels very secular working in the church. And uh, I don't know if he meant to say that, but that's what he said. I do believe that's what he meant to say because I know him, but I may have misunderstood him. Nonetheless, it exploded inside me. And I began to think about the church as a whole in the U.S. Um, and uh, just globally and how I believe that there are a lot of churches that are growing secularly. And what I mean by that is that I had to look up what the definition meant. My wife and I were driving, and I said, Trey, can you, can you do me a favor? Can you Google secular? And here's what it says. It says, denoting attitudes, activities, or other things that have no religious or spiritual basis. Um, and so to imply that a church can grow without it being spiritual or religious is a shame. 
And uh, yet there are a lot of churches that are growing. All we basically got to do is uh, play some good music and give a good positive message. And, uh, and people are attracted to this. And so the problem with that is that that's not always going to change people's lives. It may change habits. It may change personalities. But I think that if we're going to do what we're going to do for the Lord, we want to make sure that His Spirit is involved in it. So Jesus, last week, we, we said last night in John chapter 15, uh, verse 6, 5, 5, 6, he, he says that um, without me, you can do nothing. And I thought about how, how bothersome that was for me because I find in my life, oftentimes, I do a lot of things in my life and I do some things rather well and I don't do it with God. And if we can do things excellent without God, how much better would it be if we did it with God? And so I think that this is the lasting thing. As I, as I look globally, I, there's so many people that start their, their marriages off right, or they start their families off right, or their careers off right, and they find something that's good. They turn it into something great because they're doing it with God, fulfilling their calling, and somehow they ruin great things for things that are just good. What I mean is I've seen ministries explode, and those ministries lose their children at the altar of the church. I've seen uh, marriages, uh, you know, where, where they, they take off and families are growing and developing and, and, and finances are growing great because of this business. And all of a sudden, the business is growing more than the marriage. And we had something great and we lost it because of something good. And we have to be careful that we don't mess up what God called us to do because we lose track of what it is He actually wants for our life. Everything that we do, we want to do with God, with the Holy Spirit. And so I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about that, and thinking about that, and I asked you guys some questions. So last week, it was kind of weird for me, rather than teaching on the Holy Spirit, I just asked a bunch of questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? How do we use Him in our life practically? How do I do everything that I do with God? And so I sent you out some text messages throughout the week. Some of you guys got them, and I got a few reports back of people that were actually researching some of this stuff. And I think that that's important. Why? Because I know that based on all of our past, we will have a preconceived idea of who the Holy Spirit is, and we judge His personality based on our, our view of Him. But that's dangerous. We want to make sure that what we're studying is not something that we heard, but what we have found directly in Scripture ourselves. And so I'm asking all of us, rather than having a view of the Holy Spirit, which means Pentecostal, or rather than having a view of the Holy Spirit, which means Baptist, or rather having a denominational view of who God is, that we choose to study and figure out who He is. And so without further ado, I'm going to jump into this today. I'm pretty excited about it. I may get worked up. I'm going to go in three different routes with this today. First, we're going to talk about who is the Holy Spirit. Two, the second thing we're going to do is talk about what the Holy Spirit does in our life. And the third thing, I'm going to challenge you guys just a couple things to do this week with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So you don't think that I'm going all over the place. It's going to seem like it if I don't tell you that's where we're going in our conversation. The first thing today is who is the Holy Spirit? We're going to turn in our Bibles if you have uh, John chapter 14. And John chapter 14 through John chapter 17 is Jesus' last kind of hours on earth. This is his last week on earth. And uh, we believe that this is the passage of Scripture that you would find, you know, the 
painting that they drew of the 12 disciples and Jesus in the middle and everyone's kind of leaning in. This is this passage here, right? right? And so this is the Passover dinner and, and further. And Jesus is going to have some things that's really important to him that he wants to get across to us. Now, he's going to talk about this directly in, about the Holy Spirit. What's important that I want you guys to look at here is that the Holy Spirit is not power. The Holy Spirit is not uh, an object. The Holy Spirit is not it. The Bible never refers to the Holy Spirit as an it. And so some of us have an idea that when the Holy Spirit is doing whatever the Holy Spirit does, a lot of us think the Holy Spirit is altar calls. That is not Holy Spirit. I want to make sure that's bad doctrine. Okay? That's based on an experience. For example, if uh, Chris, would you stand up? If you met Chris at the coffee bar this morning and you were going to get coffee and he walked in front of you and grabbed a cup of coffee, Chris may have been rude. However, that is not who Chris is. Does that make sense? It may have been what he did, but it's not who he is. The Holy Spirit is not power. You can sit down. Thank you. If I gave you steroids, I am not giving you power. I'm giving you steroids. Steroids can be powerful. They can make you more strong, but it is not power. The Holy Spirit is not an it. And the reason why that's important is because if you don't understand who the Holy Spirit is, you will not be able to connect with him. Let me show you. John chapter 14. I think that this is going to be really, really good. Who is the Holy Spirit? It's the first question I sent you on Monday. Hopefully some of you guys checked this out and you found your own answers. These are some of the answers that I found. Three chapters, Jesus is going to say this again and again and again, and it's pretty stinking rad, in my opinion. Here we go. The Holy Spirit is, uh, or so in John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, he says, I will pray to the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And that is the Spirit of truth. He, he says, he, not it, he will abide with you forever. Remember when they says, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Remember he says that I will not leave you nor forsake you. This is not Jesus that's actually following you around. It is his spirit, the Godhead, God in three persons, the God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. Listen to this. I will pray to the father, Jesus says, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. I love that he calls him the helper. We're going to get into this for whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells in you. It's so important that you understand the Holy Spirit is not it. Because if he is an it, you will not connect and have a personal relationship with him. Because you know that he is a person, now you can interact with him personally. And this is not a religious event or a religious experience. It is an individual whom you should know personally. And this is difficult because if we are going to be disciples and if we are going to live lives for Jesus, we have to understand how we interact with God. Check this out. I'm going to keep going. In verse 21, I love it. And he says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. I love this. Jesus, I will manifest myself to him. I looked up manifest this morning on Google, and it said, I will make myself. No, it did not say that. It said, it said <laughs> manifest equals uh, to, to make one thing obviously clear to someone's mind. I love it. Jesus said, I will make myself obvious to you. And that's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He is only here to make it abundantly clear that Jesus is Lord and that he's alive. 
This is the purpose of why we're praying that the Holy Spirit comes today so that everyone knows that Jesus reigns and that he lives and that he lives and that he's not dead and he's not boring and he is alive and he is alive and he is alive. Hmm. Okay, cool. I'm going to keep going. John chapter 14, just a couple verses later in verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said. You have to understand, he will be with you. He will teach you. I love, I love that Jesus calls him like six times in these three chapters, the helper. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's a helper. This is one of the things that he is, he is like. He's, he's very good at helping. Who should you be looking for in your life to love God more? The helper. The helper will be with you. The helper will help you love God. The helper will help you have discipline. The helper will help you have wisdom. The helper will help you have strength. The helper will help you have courage. The helper will help you have... That's like a tongue twister there. I got it. I don't even think I said a cuss word once there. That was really good. Okay. So uh, the helper will teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance that I've said to you. It's so important. It's so important that we read our Bible because later now the Holy Spirit can speak to me through the sword of the Spirit and remind me things that is truth for my life. He's going to remind you things. So as you're going through life and you, all of a sudden, I wonder if this is a good idea or bad, and all of a sudden everything in your spirit says, this is a bad idea. It's because the Holy Spirit is reminding you some of the things that Jesus wants you to understand. I'm going to keep going. The person of the Holy Spirit is not an experience. It's not an altar call. He is a person. Pentecostal people think that the Holy Spirit equals church service. And this is bad doctrine, really dangerous doctrine. Because if you think he's a church experience or a Pentecostal experience, you're missing the friendship. You're missing the helper. You're missing the partner of the Holy Spirit. Oh, man, that's good. Okay, here we go. John chapter 15, verse 26, it says this. He says, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. I love that. I love that in this room today. Some of you got a sense that the Holy Spirit was here. What he's really trying to say is, Jesus is alive. God is good. God cares about you right now. Your finances may not look what you want them to look like. The situation in, in your friendship or your relationship may not look like what you want it to look like. But God is with you. and He's alive. And he can. That's the purpose. He's, he's trying to testify that Jesus reigns. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. I have to keep going. Nevertheless, this is John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. He says, nevertheless, I tell you, it's to your advantage, Jesus said, that I leave, that I go away. For if I don't go away, then the helper, he will not come to you. Uh, let me stop there. I don't know if you know a mathematical equation, but Jesus actually discipled 12 people. The best way for Jesus to disciple 7 billion people is to leave and give you his Holy Spirit that can be with all of us at the same time. Isn't that rad? It's to your advantage, actually, that I go away because then, then the helper will actually help. He'll come and he'll be with you, Keith. He'll, he'll be with Bill. He'll be with Bill. He'll be with other Bill. There's a lot of Bills here today. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then listen to this. And, and if I go away, then the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, then I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. 
Then the, the, one, one, one more. I love this. Uh, he says, I still have many things to say to you. L- listen to this. I, Jesus is saying this. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to die. He's about to leave. And he says, listen, I have many things that I still have to teach you. But you can't hear them now. You can't bear to understand all the things that I've got to say. It's too heavy for you. But, however, when he, oh, man, when this dude comes, oh, it's going to be so good. When he comes, the spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own authority, but what he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you all the things to come. This is all about the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, the the Father exists to exalt the Son. The Son exists to exalt the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit exists to exalt Jesus. Jesus exists to exalt the the, the God the Father. You know what I love about people that are Christian, that are so blatantly in love with God? You can see humility in their life. They make other people greater. It's a characteristic of Jesus. Jesus exists to make other people great, and we exist to make other people great. It's the people that I don't trust that make themselves out, that lead with how awesome they are, that you really need to be nervous about. They're the ones that will climb over you. But the people that, what Jesus is trying to say is like, when you hear other people bragging about how awesome this person is, or how gifted they are, or how beautiful it is, it's because their objective is to make other people greater than them. Cool. Thought that you'd like that. Here we go. All right. Uh, He'll brag about what's to come. I think that's all I had to say about that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I was doing some research, and uh, I'm studying, and I'm studying, and I'm studying, and I'm studying, and I found, uh, I'm trying to think, who do we all believe in the world church that has the best doctrine? And it came to me. Mr. Graham. (laughs) Mr. Graham's the best, right? Anyone who ever accused Billy Graham of bad doctrine... You should not trust that individual. Billy Graham was, he was the man. He was the man. He was the man. And he had four things that he wanted us to know that the Holy Spirit does. He said that the Holy Spirit will do four things for you in your life that's really important. One, the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts. Hmm. Is that true? Is that true scripturally? And is that true in my life? I think it's important because you have a relationship with Jesus, but many of us don't know how to interact with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we don't know what the Holy Spirit's for. We don't know how to use Him. It's like a tool that we have in our toolbox. It'd be perfect if we could figure out how to plug it in and work it, but we don't know how to work it, and all of our life is supposed to exist in the Holy Spirit. This is dangerous if we don't understand what He's trying to do. One, He convicts. Jesus just said it in John chapter uh, 16, uh, and He said this. He said that when the Holy Spirit comes, I'm reading my note. Wait, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Let me remind you today. When the Holy Spirit is here, he reminds us that judgment is going to come to all men. That all of us will die, and after that, we will give account to our maker. That's the Holy Spirit's job to remind you that your life is a vapor, and that you should probably take Jesus and your commitment to him seriously. The second thing that the Holy Spirit will do, according to this verse, according to Jesus, is that he will convict the world of judgment, of righteousness. What what he's saying is he will make sure that we remember that there is a standard. Now, a standard is not something that we in our generation likes a whole lot. A standard looks boring. A standard means like I can't be me. No, that's not true at all. You can be as weird and as quirky and as fun and innovative and as loud and as obnoxious as you want. But there is a righteous living standard of things that are good and things that are not good. Things that are right. There is a right way. It is not my way. 
It is, unfortunately, not your way. It is Yahweh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. <laughs> no, I wasn't, Chris. First thing that he does, and then, and then the last thing, I want to remind you that, that he convicts us of sin. And I, I stop for a second. I think one of the most dangerous things that happens in our life is that when we forget what sin is, it's dangerous. And that means that we're not actually connected at all anymore with the Holy Spirit. It's like a relationship that you know that you have a friend with. You're like, we're friends, but I can't tell you that I know that you're making a really bad decision. I never want that in my life with, the, with God. If I'm doing something wrong, I really hope that he feels liberty to tell me that I'm not making a right decision. Let me, let me put it this way. I would rather know on this side of earth that I'm making a bad decision than on that side. Let us not get to the point in our life where we forget what sin is. Because when we do it wrong and we do it wrong and we do it wrong, what happens is we, we, our heart gets hardened and we stop feeling guilty for things that he said, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, and it gets softer and softer and softer in our ears to the point where we are calloused, it doesn't hurt us anymore, but what happens, I'm not trying to be like mean, I've just seen this so many times, is that one day we wake up, we realize, oh crap, this is bad, and now it's hurt me, and it's been destructive, and I made really bad decisions that all could have been adjusted had I listened the first time. The Holy Spirit is a helper. He's a guide. He is a friend, and he will teach. He will help us learn. Okay, I have to keep going. We just, let me, no, I got to stop. Would y'all close your heads? and back? I'm sorry, I'm not, this isn't in my notes. I got to do it. If you're here right now, I don't want to go any further. You know that you've made some decisions that you have not allowed the Holy Spirit to enter into. And it's getting, hard, it's getting easier to make those bad decisions. But you know the standard of judgment, righteousness, and sin. And right now, you just want to be a friend of the Holy Spirit and say, I know that I'm making wrong decisions, or I've made some wrong decisions, and I, I want conviction back. If that's you, and you want conviction back about that thing, would you raise your hand with every head bowed? I love it, I love it, I love it. There's 25... 30 hands up. I'm going to pray a prayer for you real quick. No, hold on. There's more. If you're here and you have not raised your hand and you want conviction back, raise your hand. Holy Spirit, this is your job. You are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You love us and you have a plan for our life. Lead us and guide us and show us when we're not right. Amen. Whew, that was awesome. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does is he saves me. The Holy Spirit gives life in our death. So something happens inside of us where we realize that we've done wrong and we need the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you realize this. First Corinthians teaches us that I had too many scriptures and so I didn't put them all in. Uh, otherwise, I'm, I'm like, I get crazy. Like. And so anyways, First Corinthians teaches us that you can't call Jesus Lord without the... That's pretty awesome. 
So in order for us to recognize that Jesus is Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. So in your life, you may not even realize what the Holy Spirit's been doing in your life and at work in your life for years and years. You know Jesus is Lord. This has been your best friend the whole time, telling you, reminding you, Jesus is God is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You're not God. Someone else is. You're not God. Someone else is. And this has been the Holy Spirit. It also says that uh, in, in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking with this guy Nicodemus. They have this conversation, and he says, listen, if um, you, uh, he says, how do I enter the kingdom, Jesus? And Jesus says, you must be born again. He says, what's flesh is flesh, what spirit is spirit. In other words, everyone's been born in the flesh. We all have carnal desires. We all have earthly, I mean, I, I watch it in my seven-year-old daughter, six-year-old, six-year-old daughter, that's terrible, birthday's next week. She's grounded. <laughs> I watch it and her take her little sister's toy, you know? We've done this as long as we want. We want what, else, what isn't ours. And so in order to be born again, we need the Holy Spirit to give new life to our bodies. What's flesh is flesh. What's spirit is spirit. Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be born of the spirit, he says. No one knows where the spirit comes from or where it goes. Some of you get that part, like, like I, when altar call's going on, you're looking at it like, I don't know what the heck's going on. That's part, you got it, man, you, Jesus said, you're never going to figure this thing out. You ain't never going to understand how, the move of God, I, and I, I, I don't, I never have, I never will. God, I'm watching, God, this person's crying and snotting, and then nothing changes in their life. And this person right here put their hands in their pockets, I thought they were mad, as a, and God hammered their life, changed so many things going on, I never understand the move of God. I'll never understand it. God is just cool. Cool, I have to keep going. First thing God does is he convicts me according to Billy Graham. Second thing he does is he saves me. He gives me life. And I can prove this to you again and again and again. The third thing he does is that he lives in me. And this is where transformation begins to happen. This is where sanctification starts happening. This is where uh, uh, read uh, something Asian starts to happen. There's a lot of these Asians, you know, that happens in the scripture. And... Uh, I need to shut up and have a sip of water. I didn't pray yet. Can we pray real quick? If you're new, I'm always weird. This is what God does. He takes the dumb things and confounds the wise. I don't know. All right, Lord, Holy Spirit, Jesus, help. Amen. The Bible says that we are the temple of the... So after... We've been convicted, and after we've been born again, now he comes and he makes his home inside of us. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I that live, but Christ, he lives in me. It's like Jesus ain't living in me. The beard dude with like the, you know, he's not living in me. The Holy Spirit's living in me, which is Christ's spirit who is now taking residence in my heart. And what happens now is as he lives in me. This is where he guides me. This is where he's, he, he teaches me. This is where he convicts me. This is where he's, he's doing new things inside my life. He's bearing fruit. He's living inside me. And this is all of our lives. Right now, the Holy Spirit is living inside all of us. And well, I think it's our job in life to learn how to activate that more and more and more and more so he grows in us. Cool. The fourth thing it says that he does, Billy Graham said, is that he gives us power to live for Christ. I thought that was pretty cool. He gives us power to live for Christ. Now, I think about that. And this is where some of us struggle. Many of us, um, as we've been a Christian for longer periods of time, if we make mistakes 
and we don't listen to the Holy Spirit, we feel guilty. And if we don't make changes, shame takes over and it gets worse and worse. And the problem with it then is that it's almost like instead of as John the Baptist prayed, you must increase and I must decrease, what happens is, is we allow our carnal nature to increase. And we don't allow the power of Christ to excel and grow in our life. The power of God looks like this. It can look like healing. It can look like prophecy. It can look like boldness. It can look like confidence. Someone that's restored and living in right shouldn't live in shame or insecurity or in fear or in resentment. It should look like boldness, not pride, but confidence. Not in me, but in him, right? Okay, and so what it looks like when the power of Christ is living inside of us is there's other strengths, other powers like discipline. You know what this world doesn't have, the ability to say no, the ability to say I can't do that. Like power can is, many of us don't really gravitate to, we think power is Pentecost here in the altar and that's just one, that's just one of the things that the helper did and does and is doing. But that's not who he is. Who he is, he's doing a lot of stuff. It's like, I'm, I'm a dad, and I'm a pastor, and I'm a husband, and I'm a co-laborer, and I'm a friend, and I'm a teacher, and I'm, you know, I, the list goes on and on. I'm not really handy, though. You know, that's my wife. I'm sorry. All right, cool. Here we go. I'm trying to think of some of these I'm not. Okay. Um, I got to read this to you because this is what convicted me. Ah, oh, man, I got to hurry up. I got to hurry up. Okay, here we go. Listen to this. When I read this, that he gives us power, I read something. And so this whole message is coming out of this thought. When I talked to that friend and he said that church feels secular, and I realized that I can do many things in my life without God's help, I kind of got nervous and realized that maybe I'm doing a lot of things wrong. Listen to this verse that Apostle Paul said is going to happen in the last days. Tune your ears real quick. But know this. That in the last days of perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. He, he goes on to list a whole bunch of other stuff. He says they're boasters and they're proud, they're blasphemers, disobedient, their parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, forgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, strong, headstrong, haunty. And he goes on to say this. He says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Let me stop. He, he starts off, he says that they'll be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. I think that as Christians, we can be guilty of that and somehow not feel bad. Lovers of myself, like, yeah, I love myself. I love doing stuff for myself. Lovers of pleasure, yeah, I love doing fun stuff. I, I went this week and I got a massage. And it was so good, man. It was awesome. I love stuff. I love sitting and watching recliners. I love going to the movies. I love doing stuff for me. But the problem with this is that that's supposed to be momentarily. But our life is supposed to be lived for the pleasure of God. Like our motive is not how do I wake up in the morning and how do I enjoy me? It's, it's how do I enjoy him? <clears throat> All right, so he, he says they love themselves, they love money, and then he says they'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then listen to this. Having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people stay away. And I'm thinking about how many churches don't want to have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. How many churches don't want God to move in their church? How many people, churches don't want to have moments where we pray with me? Listen, I know that some of us don't like the Holy Spirit because you have an idea of who the Holy Spirit is based on things you've seen happen in church. 
Let me stop. Get ready for that video. Here's what you need to know. You've seen weird people anointed by God's Spirit. So have I. So has everyone. Weird people that are anointed by God's Spirit are still weird. The Holy Spirit is not weird. That person was weird long before you saw whatever you saw happen in the altar. <laughs> so you can't judge the Holy Spirit based on a weird person. Some people like to draw attention to themselves. But the Holy Spirit's going to draw attention to Jesus. So you've got to look past what you saw there and want what Jesus said we should want. Scotty, would you play the video? Okay, hold on. I'm sorry. This is a video of a larger pastor than me. He's got a big church. His name is Robert Morris, and he's got a church of like 15,000. He's a champion of this subject, Holy Spirit. He's invited into many, many, many big, 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 big churches to teach on the Holy Spirit. And he said this, and I could say it, but I thought he says it better. So I wanted to give this opportunity for you to hear. This is really good. Here you go. Check it out. One of the most famous is Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the descriptive names, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you want to see for sure, here's a verse that outright says the Holy Spirit is God, all right? Uh, in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart, watch, to lie to the Holy Spirit. And then verse 4 says, you have not lied to men, but to God. He's God. As I told you, I grew up in a church, a very good church, but a church that really did not understand the Holy Spirit. And my pastor was a very good man, but he had a theological persuasion that kind of warped him against the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you an example. I, I got saved, and then I went to Bible college to study for the ministry. And uh, they prayed over me at the church. And then the last thing my pastor said to me before I went to Bible college, he, he was giving me a word of advice. And he didn't say, study hard or, you know, work hard or stay pure or, or you know, spend time in prayer. And again, I'm not, I'm not being critical. Please hear me. But here's what he said. Because of the warped theology that he, he was in, Here's what he said. These are the words to a ministerial student. He said, watch out for people who talk about the Holy Spirit. That's what he said to me. Now, let me tell you how warped that is because the Bible says the Holy Spirit is God. So what he actually said to a ministerial student preparing for the ministry is, when you go to Bible school, watch out for people who talk about God. That's what he said. See how warped that is? Why would we be afraid of the Holy Spirit? Let, let, me, let me read you something. Um, every every uh, sentence in here is based on a scripture or many scriptures, all right? The Holy Spirit intercedes through us on earth. The Holy Spirit calls and qualifies every minister for the work of the kingdom. It is the Holy Spirit who makes them overseers over the flock. He hears, speaks, teaches, and guides us into all truth. He glorifies Christ, receives of Christ, shows us Christ, and brings all of Christ's words to our remembrance. It is better for us that Jesus left so he could come. He shows us things to come, knows the deep things of God, searches all things, and reveals all things. Where he is, there is liberty. The writers of the Bible spoke as they were moved by him. We are warned not to grieve him or quench him. 
The sin against him is unpardonable because sin against the Holy Spirit is to sin against the only one who can reveal Christ to us. Unless a man is born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We are convicted by him, born again by him, led by him, filled with him, and sealed by him. Isn't that amazing? That's what the Holy Spirit does. Um, tell you one more thing. I was... Uh, so um, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking about how all of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our life that we don't recognize him for. It's kind of like when you're a kid and you don't realize that your parents going to work for 10 hours a day, coming home and making dinner. You don't realize that they're going to work and they're coming home and they're paying bills. You're, they're going to work or they're coming home and they're, uh, they're cleaning. They're going to work and they're coming home and they're fixing dinner and they're going home and they're coming home and they're tired. You don't realize that because you're just doing you. The Holy Spirit has been doing a lot of stuff. And some of us don't like him because of a perception that we had at the coffee bar when dude was rude. That's not who he is. You just saw someone else put on a bad display of him. Does that make sense? Now, I can't, I'm only going to tell you a lot of the things that I found about the Holy Spirit in my experience. I am begging you, please. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else, please don't believe me. Please research this. Please prove me wrong. Please study the Bible to find out who God is. Please study the Bible to find out what God wants to do in your life. Please study the Bible to find out how God helps you be a better husband, better wife, better friend, better coworker, better child, better dad, you know, whatever. But he's the helper. And if you're not looking to him for help, guess what? It's going to feel secular. It's going to feel like you're living for Jesus on your own because you don't need him. And if we don't need him, what the heck are we doing? We're doing the whole thing wrong. I told them that we got to start, but I'm not ready to start. So here we go. I got to, sorry. I'm not sorry. Here we go. This is what you need to know. I am not a better person than you because I have the Holy Spirit. I am a better person than me because I have the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's it. He makes me better. And I think he wants to make you better. He's the helper. Not Pentecostal, the helper. Now, he does a lot of things. A lot of things you do. But I don't want someone to label you with one thing. He's a person. And we should interact with him in a personal way. Because he's a friend that's close to the brother. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. He's the lover of your soul. He's the friend that's closer than a brother. He is God. And we can't do it without him. Church should not feel secular. Going to work tomorrow, even in a secular job, is not supposed to be secular. Nothing we do is secular because nothing we do is without God. Yes. Hear this. Three challenges that I have for you this week and I close. One. Look for him. This week in your life, please look for this guy that's following you everywhere you go. He's creepy. He's a stalker. You can file a complaint about him if you want to, but look for him in your life. He's talking to you. He's speaking to you. And he's the only person that always loves you. 
to. Listen to him. I promise you that I promise you that I promise you that I promise you that you can hear God. It's, his voice starts small, and he normally only uses one word at a time, like no, or yes, or go, or do, or forgive, or shut up. That's two. But he says those things. Often, if you're married, he's told you that a lot. And you listen to him, and you grow. You turn him off, and you're doing it on your own. One, look for him. Two, listen to him. Three, wait for him. Jesus said this. I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes. And he fills you with power from on high. He says, wait. 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 You know why it's so hard for, our, for us in society to experience the Holy Spirit? So we can't wait for nothing. We got a microwave, and if it takes 30 seconds to heat our food, that thing ain't working. And God doesn't do that. He's precious. But when Jesus said, I'm leaving, I'm going to give you a gift, wait for it. I challenge you tomorrow before you start your day, have a devotion and tell God, I'm waiting for you. And I wonder, can you show up in my room or in my vehicle the same way you did at church yesterday? Wait for your Savior, for the lover of your soul, for your guide and your teacher and your friend. Rachel, would you sing? Y'all close your eyes. Listen to this. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare your 